Turning points change the course of our lives. Whether it's a big decision, overcoming an obstacle or tragedy, or taking a leap of faith, these stories of inspiration and resilience are what Turning Point is all about. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Turning Point. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Adrian Sutherland. Adrian is a singer, songwriter, speaker, and advocate from the Attawapiskat First Nation. Today, you'll hear about one of his biggest turning points. He was a CEO who decided to take a leap of faith and pursue his passion for music and focus on creating a life that revolved around family. Adrian, welcome to Turning Point. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. You know, I know um, I just mentioned uh, your turning point there in the introduction, but I think it would be great if you could kind of set the stage for us. You left your job as CEO of a development company uh, about four years ago. So tell us about what life was like for you at that point. Yeah, I was with the company for for 10 years. I actually started off as their coup, the chief operations officer, and then they grew me into the CEO position, which I held for almost four years. And it, during the last two years uh, in that role as CEO, I found it very, very stressful. Um, very little time off uh, from work. Uh, even when I was uh, away on my vacation time, I was still working. There was just, it was just never ending. And I, I was in a very um, uh, difficult work environment as well. Um, and it was, there was a lot of challenges uh, that I had to navigate through in that, in that role. Uh, so there were, you know, it led me to kind of reconsider everything and sort of step back and look at my life and, and, and look at my career. And, and uh, I had to make some decisions and um, I made the decision to step to step back from that role and uh, pursue other opportunities. Was there a moment for you when you knew that you needed to make that change? Yeah. You know, I was starting to get kind of brash, you know, in, in meetings and getting frustrated and, and even some of the hard negotiations I was involved with, uh, particularly contracts and procurement um, type of work. And I just, just started noticing myself um, you know, just flying off the handle in some of the meetings and, uh, and I knew that wasn't me. That's not who I am. And I knew that it was coming from a place of stress. Um, and, and I didn't like, um, treating people that way. And I certainly didn't, didn't want people to treat me in that sort of way as well. So I think for me, uh, uh, you know, in my body, you know, it just wasn't feeling, um, like, uh, it used to, and there's just a lot of things mentally and physically. It was draining. Uh, it was just really exhausting. Um, and I think those were the sort of turning points for me. And, and of course, my family, being away from my my family for for weeks at a time, sometimes uh, longer, uh, traveling for business. So, so those were those were very difficult for me. Um, and of course, having young children, uh, and any any parent can tell you that. Uh, you know, when, when you miss out on those important events and, and miss out on those years, it, it's, uh, it's, those are you know, years that you can't get back. So those were some of the biggest deciding factors for me to, to, you know, turn around and, 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 uh, step back and get away from all that. 
I imagine after devoting so much of your life to working for this company, um, obviously being in a leadership role for a long time, it was probably challenging to have some of those conversations once you did make that final decision. Um, did it feel right at the time or was it something that felt right later? No, it was, it was scary. You know, it was a scary decision for me to make, um, you know, stepping away, not having any kind of job or work, uh, no steady income. Um, and I've, you know, I've been working since I was a teenager. Uh, my first job I had when I was 16 and I've pretty much been working part-time and going to school, um, since I was a teen and, and all through my twenties. Uh, so I've always been working and I've always, um, been, uh, in academic programs and been in college and, and just so, and then, and then I worked for so long in, in, in a few different, uh, fields. Uh, and so I was just so, it was so ingrained in me, you know, to get up every day, uh, and go to work. And, and once that was gone, uh, I, I started to, um, feel very anxious, you know, um, I felt like I needed to look for work, find a job. Maybe I should go back to work. You know, those were all those thoughts were coming into, into my mind. Um, so it was a very scary, uh, real, realization when, when, uh, I didn't have a job to go to anymore. And like I said, I just can't imagine someone who works, you know, right up until they're 50, 60. And then suddenly one day they retire. It's just, uh, it's going to be really, really difficult. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I gambled. It was a leap of faith. You know, I had music, of course, that I was driving and I always, I always drove that on the side. And at that point in, in my life, it wasn't full time yet. And it certainly wasn't bringing in any income. Um, I was actually losing, uh, losing money going to shows. So it was, it was, it was something that I knew I was going to have to work very hard at. Um, and uh, there were some other things that I was into as well, like entrepreneurship. I always had the entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial spirit. So, uh, you know, I started a, a small business here in the community, um, uh, just over six years ago. And, um, while I was still working as CEO and it's a family business that uh, we continue to operate today. So, um, again, you know, you just never know when you venture out on your own, uh, especially with entrepreneurial stuff you just never know what to expect. And, uh, uh, a lot of people fail miserably, um, you know, pursuing ventures like that. Uh, we were able to, to pull together and pull through as a family and, and work together, um, to get through some very difficult times and, uh, you know, it's starting to pay off finally six years later. Well, that's great to hear because as you kind of set the stage there and you think about, you know, I I'm thinking about myself, having worked since I was a teenager as well. And, you know, it, yeah, that, the idea of not having that all of a sudden, um, it must've been really scary. You also mentioned your music there, and this is something that has also been a part of your life, uh, since you were a teenager. Do you remember those early days of music or, or how you sort of became interested in music in the first place? Well, I was, I've always been around music for, for as long as I can remember, since I was a boy. Uh, my mom played, all my uncles played. I was always around live music. Uh, I, I, as a teen, um, it was sort of the thing to do up here to go to the community dances. Um, you know, the kids were allowed in. 
uh, they got pretty wild. So, um, but we, you know, it was, it was, uh, something that we really enjoyed doing and I really enjoyed the live entertainment, the live music. Um, it, yeah, it's something I, uh, got really interested, especially in my teens. And that's when I started to kind of play more, you know, I was doing a lot of guitar playing and, um, I wanted to be the best guitar player in the world. So I was spending a lot of time trying to build up my licks and, uh, and then, and then I got sick of that. You know, uh, I, I got more interested in writing, writing songs in my late teens, early twenties. And I started to, to write, um, some pretty funny songs. And in those days, uh, I'm sure were, were really horrible, uh, <laughs> to, to, for some people to hear them. Hey, we all have to start somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You mentioned uh, your mom there, and um, I'm reminded of one of the songs on your uh, debut solo album. It is called Nowhere to Run. Can you tell us how your mom influenced this song? Well, this this is a song that uh, I, I wrote several years, several years back, and uh, it, it, really is, it, it really is about the mistreatment of Indigenous women. Um, and my mom was is a residential school survivor and um, experienced um, a lot of difficult things during her time uh, at the residential school. And only recently have I been learning about some of those things because she never really talked about them uh, up until recently. So, you know, while most Canadians are hearing about some of the horrific things that the Indigenous people have experienced, a lot of us are, are, are just learning about it too. Um, and we, we've had parents and grandparents of in the indigenous, uh, in the uh, residential school system, uh, you know, that never really talked about, uh, the horrific things that they experienced. So that's kind of where that song came from. And, uh, I, I don't know. I just, I never really wanted to put it out because I've always felt like it was a sensitive issue and, and being, uh, a male and writing about, you know, the mistreatment of indigenous Indigenous women. I, I just didn't know if that was my place to do that. And I, I just felt really hesitant about it for a long time. And uh, I think part of that, a big part of that song is is, is telling, you know, my mom's story um, and some of the, the abuse she suffered after, you know, domestic violence that I witnessed as a boy. So, um, so yeah, it was a very personal song for me. Absolutely. I mean, in listening to the song, you can really feel that emotion behind it. How did your mom react um, when you told her about it or, or when she heard it for the first time? I haven't talked to her about the that song. And uh, I don't know if she's even heard my new album yet. Um, but she has heard all the music prior to this album. So it's a, it's a discussion we, we haven't had. And we usually don't talk about um, those kinds of things. Cause it gets really uncomfortable for not only her, but for me. Um, so, but I think it's a conversation yet to happen. Yeah. And I certainly think the, the lyrics from that song, I'm sure have sparked other conversations with, um, with other families as well, because as you say, it is, it is a difficult subject just to kind of bring up, um, I wonder, you know, you, you mentioned her experience in residential school and how maybe it, it's something you've learned about more recently. As you're learning about it, are you seeing the impact that her experience has had on your life? Yes. I, I always knew that some, some 
something horrible happened to her. Um, you know, we grew up in a very broken home, um, a lot of alcohol uh, my entire life. So it was very, very broken, very dysfunctional, uh, a lot of violence, um, a lot of drinking. Uh, we were separated, all my siblings, um, you know, put up for adoption. Uh, we were we were spread out from a young age. Um, so that that residential school um, definitely had an effect on our family and my life. And uh, you know, we we as a family you found each other much later in life when we we were in our teens, and uh, and are very close now um, as a family. And I think. Uh, um, we're all doing like really well. I think it, for us, it was definitely about wanting to break that cycle and wanting to, to have a safe, uh, loving, nurturing home for our families. And my wife and I, and I know my other siblings, um, you know, I've done that and, uh, we've, we've done the best we, we could, you know, as parents and, and continue to do that today. Fanshawe College has always offered a wide range of programs, and that now includes micro-credentials. So with these courses, you can earn digital badges to add to your social profiles. And there are so many to choose from, including diversity and inclusion for leaders, fostering employee engagement, even podcasting. Those are just a few of the options, and the best part is that they are all verified by Fanshawe College, a trusted institution that is a leader in part-time adult education. You can find out more about Fanshawe's micro-credentials at the link in the show notes. I mean, I'm happy there is this kind of, you know, happier point in time now where you've been able to reunite with your siblings. And I mean, it sounds like you have all been through so much and you're even your home there. The, a lot of people might recognize the name, um, the Attawapiskat First Nation from the news because it has faced, the community has faced some very difficult times. Uh, it was in the news when there was a suicide crisis there in 2015, 2016. Um, there have been ongoing issues with contaminated water. Um, you know, I, and I do want to hear more about that, but before that, can you tell us, you know, other than what we might know from the news, what do you want people to know about the community of Attawapiskat and, and the people there? We're doomed. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> We're, uh, well, quite often we're <clears throat> depicted, you know, as being very dark and troubled. Uh, yes, you know, we, we are troubled. We do have issues here. And I think we're like any other community. Um, but because we're a small community and because I think, you know, things are sort of magnified, you know, uh, the issues that we have up here. And of course, things spill into the mainstream media and, uh, and, quite often what we see is the worst of, of these communities up here. And, uh, um, we, we don't see the good stories or we don't hear about the good stories, uh, and the good things that are happening up here. Um, we are, there's no doubt that we are a community that has been struggling. You know, we've in, in a lot of ways, we've lost our way. 
um, as a community, but we're, we're rallying, you know, I, I see it every day. I, I, um, you know, people I, um, talk with and people that I go out to, um, uh, gatherings with here in the community, um, people are, are wanting change. People are wanting to, we want to get our mojo back, you know, um, I don't want Piscat, um, used to be one of the most, uh, um, innovative communities here in, in the North. I think we were, well, we were the first community in all of Canada to, to actually get its own high school. Um, we self-financed the school. Um, so, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, really cool things that had went on in the past and, and, you know, we just kind of went off course over the years and, uh, um, but we're starting to find our way. And I think there's going to be some, some real changes around here in the coming years. Um, we have some young, bright people, um, that are up and coming, uh, um, um, leaders. And, uh, I really look forward to, to, you know, playing some kind of role of being a part of, part of that, um, in, in, in the near future. Um, so yeah, it's the, you do, we have, we have our problems, but we also have a lot of wonderful things that are happening here. Um, some of the things that I love about my community is that everyone is willing to help one another when we're in trouble, when we're in need, uh, we don't leave each other behind. You know, when people are struggling financially or f- with food, um, know that your neighbor is there to help you uh, always. Um, um, you know, we help each other out, uh, when we're in, uh, uh, difficult circumstances, like perhaps maybe, uh, we are stuck out, um, out on the land, you know, people are going to come and, and look for you and find you and help you get home safely. Those are some of the things I, um, I really love about my community. Um, people truly care, uh, in that way. Um, and there's many other things, you know, uh, I think, uh, uh, the landscapes up here are beautiful. Um, we have so much land and there's so much potential here. Like it's just unbelievable. Um, once we're able to, to realize that potential someday, um, this community is going to be uh, a lot better off than what we've seen. Thank you for sharing that. I know um, I was a news reporter in my previous life, and I know sometimes um, when something major is happening, like the suicide crisis in, in 2015, 2016, you know, the media kind of parachutes in, they tell that story, and then they leave. And there, it's one aspect of, of a community. So I really appreciate you kind of sharing more and, and giving us, um, kind of painting that picture of, of a lot of the great things that are happening there too. You have also used your music and your platform to draw attention to uh, some of the issues, uh, in Attawapiskat. What kind of responses do you get from people, um, who, who maybe are hearing about some of this for the first time through your music? Well, I think most of the responses have been very positive. Uh, you know, there's always a, a few uh, um, negative uh, responses that I get, um, which is expected. I mean, you just, you got to roll with the punches, I guess. Um, but, it, you know, overall, I think they're positive. And I think uh, for me, I th- using my platform, using my voice to spark conversations, to invite people in to talk, uh, to sit down and talk, about, um, you know, the message that I'm bringing to people through my music. Uh, I've always wanted to do it in a way that invites them in and not, you know, punch you in the face, uh, with, with the music. Um, so I've done it that way for so long until I recently put out a song called, um, politician man, 
which is the most politically charged song I've ever put out. And it's, it's a protest song. It's full on in your face, punch you right in your nose. But uh, I never, you know, I never as a person would break people down. And, and, uh, and sometimes our, our humanness gets the best of us. You know, we get frustrated and we say things that we don't mean in the moment of, of anger or in a moment of frustration. Um, uh, but I certainly would never wish anything bad upon anyone. And certainly don't want to break anyone down, especially our politicians and uh, our leaders, our chief and councils. Because um, that... Uh, that uh, will get us nowhere. I often think that music and comedy are two of the best ways to to provide an entry point to talk about difficult topics. Um, because you can do it in kind of a lighter way, but it can still spark those serious and impactful conversations. And as I was asking that the previous question, I was definitely thinking about your song, Politician Man, because I imagine a lot of people had a lot of questions for you after that. So tell me more about some of the conversations that that it led to. Well, I mean, for, for me, I guess some of the early conversations um, that I've had, um, you know, I, I sometimes have been quick to paint everyone with the same, same brush, you know, where I feel like a lot of Canadians don't care about Indigenous uh, issues. Um, but I, I learned that that's not true. You know, there are people out there, a lot of people that care and that want to learn and that want to, um, sit down and, and talk through some of these things. Um, I've talked about water. Uh, we've talked about suicide, uh, uh, in our communities with a lot of different people. Um, uh, I mean, we've talked about leadership, uh, so there's, there's been so many things that have been sparked, um, through, I guess, through my encounters with, with music and people, um, it's most of it's been positive. And I think music, like you said, and, 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 and comedy, uh, is a way in to, um, have these conversations. It's, it, it really, uh, break, breaks down some of those barriers that we put up, um, and, uh, uh, you know, I see it happen all the time when I'm on stage and afterwards I talk to people and, and just have some really neat conversations. I, I couldn't agree more with that. And, you know, on that note, I know reconciliation, um, is also, uh, something you've talked about in your music. Also, um, something that you are working on as you are an artist ambassador of the Downey Wenjack fund. Um, of course that's the fund started by Gord Downey. What has your work uh, with the Gord Downey Fund uh, been like? Have you seen progress through the work that you're doing there? Well, early, early, early on, um, uh, going back, oh, about three, four years now, um, I did, I did quite a bit of uh, work with with the, the Downey Wingjet um, uh, Foundation as an artist and through their artist ambassador program. And I, you know, I thought, uh, there were, um, 
there were a lot of good um, moments, you know, during my presentations and my visits to schools. I did a lot of virtual stuff as well um, with them, and uh, um, and they certainly have uh, since then. They've certainly grown um, um, uh, as as a uh, as an organization, and they have, you know, their even their uh, artist ambassador program is just grown uh substantially since since i was a part of it i was part of their pilot actually actually uh, their pilot program um and uh since then it's grown quite a bit and um yeah i've seen the impacts they've made i think it's important um going into these schools particularly they have toolkits that they put into to a lot of schools right across canada um and most of the schools that I had engaged with were um, non-Indigenous schools. Um, and I think that's where a big, their big focus is, um, is to educate uh, Canadians um, and making sure that they have the tools and, and, and things and resources they need to inform themselves and, and their students. What do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions that Canadians have about our Indigenous communities? That were a drain on the Canadian economy. Uh, <laughs> I've heard that um, in my previous work. Um, I think uh, that we get handouts is another one. Um, um, I think that the other thing is that people think we have an advantage uh, because we don't pay taxes and that we they think we get everything for free which is not true. Uh, we are actually at a major disadvantage compared to most Canadians. And, uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, look at me, I'm in Ottawa, Piscat and launching a music career from here has been damn near impossible. Um, but I've find I've been able to find ways to, to kind of, um, you know, get, be able to, to, to launch a music career from here. But, uh, because in so many ways, I'm, you know, I'm so far from everything and the internet, uh, is very unstable, uh, most days. And, uh, you know, even just exchanging files on the internet, people, most people won't, will, won't kind of buy into that. And they're like, eh, you know, uh, even, you know, not being able to deliver, uh, files to, to, uh, producers on the other end and, uh, you know, not being those timelines because internet is just so unstable. I mean, people just don't, you know, won't, won't really buy into it. They think you make excuses, but that's the reality up here. You know, there's, there's a lot of disadvantages. I think people don't understand that. Um, and a lot of ways we're still living in the dark ages up here. Uh, um, not a lot has changed in the last 20, 30 years. So, uh, very underserviced. So, um, I, I think, you know, if we were given everything for free, um, I think, uh, we probably would be doing a lot better off than we are now. That's for sure. You have really had to get creative with your music career out there. So maybe you can tell us a bit more about that and, and even how your studio came to be. Yeah. I mean, um, I've always had a little studio. I usually, it's either been in the porch or in a small room, uh, um, like most, uh, uh musicians and artists, uh, have their little space that they, uh, you know, try to create or, um, create demos particularly. And, um, so this, this space actually that I'm in now is the, uh, do it yourself recording studio. I built out of a C can, um, 
when it became clear that I wasn't going to be able to travel and do anything uh, once the pandemic hit, um, there were, you know, some opportunities that were lost. Um, there were some opportunities that were still in grasp for me, uh, but that meant that I'd have to uh, create myself a space like this. So, and that's what we did. Uh, I basically built this thing uh, with my bare hands. Uh, I had uh, had a friend. I had uh, the help of a couple of friends here in the community um, to make it all happen. And you know, we got this thing powered up. We got heat in here. Um, we have uh, pretty much everything I need to record uh, an entire album here. I have, you know, I'm able to track drums, track guitars, uh, vocals. Um, I got pretty much everything. So it's it's quite uh, remarkable um, that I'm able to to work from here. Um, the the solo debut album I put out was actually part of it was recorded in the studio um, the past year. Um, so. Uh, and, and the other part of it was recorded in Nashville. So that, that to me is like, I don't know. <laughs> and then, uh, it's, a, it's kind of mind boggling, but, uh, I, uh, I didn't know what to expect. It was actually a pretty scary thing to, to kind of say, okay, we're going to record an album remotely and, uh, for it to turn out the way it did to get such a, a beautiful record out of it. And I just I didn't know what to expect. And, uh, I couldn't be more happy with how it turned out. And I'm, and certainly even more happy that I decided to go ahead and build the studio. It's a beautiful album. I would have never guessed any of that backstory of, you know, recording part of it there, recording part of it in Nashville. Um, were, that must have been a little bit stressful, I imagine, in the moment, wondering how it would all come together. Yeah, it was, I, it was, I was worried about internet issues and, you know, all that stuff that I've struggled through, um, in previous projects. Um, but we got through it and, uh, everything kind of cooperated with us uh, technically and, uh, all the technology sort of, you know, behaved for us for, for that six weeks or whatever it was that we, uh, rec- the time we recorded the album in. Your, um, advocacy work and your music are very intertwined. And I, I wondered as I was listening to the album, was that something that happened naturally for you? Or as you were making this decision to, uh, to leave your CEO job, um, was it more of a conscious effort to, to kind of marry those two interests together? Yeah. I mean, it was always a conscious uh, decision for me to intertwine, um, those two things. Um, my advocacy work kind of, um, sort of evolved. Like I never really thought I would be doing advocacy work as an artist and I've certainly been very vocal about it, but not publicly and, and not really through the music up until the last few years. Um, and I've never been known to put out any tweets or, or anything on social media, uh, up until a couple of years ago. And I always felt like there was a lot of people out there that are, are kind of leading the charge, you know, um, with, um, other artists and other people that are out there and from the indigenous communities that have been leading the charge. And I always kind of just kind of tiptoed around for so long. And, uh, and, and it was the water thing, the water thing one day sitting there eating breakfast. And it was not long after we were told that, our water was so contaminated that you couldn't even breathe the vapors from the top. You know, you couldn't bathe in longer than two minutes. 
you couldn't rinse your food in it. Um, and I was so upset. I saw a tweet and from one of our politicians about how clean the water was in Ottawa. And it just did something to me, you know. And here I was, never having access to clean water um, my whole life. And now my kids and now my grandkids, like, that really did something to me. And it's not about me anymore. It's about my kids and my, my grandkids. And if I sit idly and do nothing or say nothing, then I'm part of the problem. Well, no, it's really powerful to hear that. And it sounds like that, that moment of seeing that, that tweet about the clean water in Ottawa was almost another turning point for you. Yeah, it sure, it sure was. So as you, um, as you reflect on your turning point, that decision four years ago to leave your CEO job, obviously so much has happened since then, a lot of it unpredictable with the pandemic, having to build your own recording studio. Is there anything that looking back and reflecting now, is there anything that you would change? No, um, there's, I can't think of anything that I would do differently. Um, the one thing I probably would have done differently was pursue, pursue music a lot earlier. Um, you know, when you become a parent, um, and, and a husband, um, those things kind of get put on the back burner. Um, so that's what I did for so long. And I think that would probably be the only thing I would do differently is, you know, maybe keep music, uh, in the forefront instead of putting it out to the back burner. Hearing you talk about what you've done with your music during the pandemic, you know, you you built your own studio, you managed to record this album, part of it there, part of it in Nashville. I mean, you must be so excited for things to go back to normal because um, you'll be you'll be free to do so much more and you've already done so much during the pandemic. So what are you most looking forward to? I'm actually looking forward to getting back and performing on the stage. Uh, I, I kind of feel left out right now because I see a lot of the you know, my peers and people that I know, um, in the industry that they, they're out touring now, they've announced their tours, they're performing. Um, me, I chose not to because there was a lot of uncertainty around the lockdowns up here. Uh, it seemed like everything else that was going on in terms of restrictions in the country, it seemed like the reserves, like the indigenous communities were like tenfold. So we were just like, you know, anyway, we uh, we we decided that because of the uncertainty with the lockdowns, um, we were still in lockdowns in the summer. So it's just like, you know, it's it's too unpredictable. Let's just push everything back to the new year. So that's what we decided. But I'm feeling kind of left out here, and uh, that's one of the things I look forward to getting back to doing is, is performing. Well, and I'm sure you have a lot of people who are excited to see you uh, back on stage. Um, I am. Hopefully I will get to see you on stage one of these days too. I really appreciate you making time to share your story, to share your turning point today. Uh, it was such a pleasure talking to you. Well, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun.
And thank you to all of you for watching and listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a comment. Of course, you can subscribe on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. And hey, if you or someone you know has a turning point, you can also email us at turningpointatpreasm.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, take good care of yourselves and of each other.